0: Hey, Bread Curry here. It's time for another spicy curry hot take. The part of the show when I get just a little bit spicy. So I believe you don't just need a creative approach. You need to build a creative flywheel. You need enough quantity and enough quality of creatives for all of your platforms. TikTok, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, YouTube Shorts. And then this flywheel needs to get better over time. So you can test iterate, improve, and keep the fly wheel going. It's not just about one or two hits. It's about finding repeated hits. Because I believe that success as a marketer, as a D2C brand, really comes down to three things. Strategy. How are we going to utilize platforms, whether that's Amazon or Meadow or or YouTube or Google, to build our brand and attract new customers and and grow profitably? And that strategy is going to have to be kind of refined as we go and see results. Then what is our creative? So what are we saying and how are we saying it? And really everything depends on how good your creative it is and then it's about execution like how are we calling the right plays and how are we using platforms to their fullest and what are what are the mechanics of, of bids and budgets and campaigns and all these things that go into success all the little details that make you successful but you gotta have good creatives and i believe you need a creative flywheel to really be able to scale and scale profitably Well, hello, and welcome to another edition of the e-commerce evolution podcast. I'm your host, Brett Curry, CEO of OMG Commerce. And today we are talking about creative flywheels. We're talking about influencer marketing. And we're just getting you locked and loaded to crush it uh, this new year with your marketing. And my guest is a returning guest. He's a friend of mine. He's a guy that I admire and just love hanging out with. But I've got Cody Wittick here. He's the co-founder and co-CEO of Kinship. Cody, what's up, my man? How's it going? And uh, welcome back to the show.
1: Thank you. Thank you. You uh, you made that CEO of OMG very clean because those were back-to-back O's. And I was pretty proud listening. Nice. Well, you're a
0: podcaster now. So you 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 see these <laughs> things. You hear these things. Uh, did not even notice that I did that, but I will I will accept yeah. that compliment gladly. And that yeah. you have to enunciate, you know, is the, is the key. Right. Yeah. Uh, th- there are times when I find myself slipping into more podcaster voice at home. And my my <laughs> daughters are usually like, what, what are you doing right now? And I'm like, I'm just excited. I don't know. I'm just talking <laughs> in an excited fashion. So uh, some new stuff going on in, in the world of Cody recently since we last talked on the podcast. But uh, one, you are a podcaster. And two, you're a new dad. So yeah. which of those would you like to tell us about first?
1: Uh, well, the podcast game has been been like a year. Uh, it's been the, a year. Okay, the new dad game. It's been four months. So four any tips? months. I got them. I got four months of knowledge <laughs> for everybody out
0: there. Yeah, four months. Nothing left to learn. You've yep. mastered the the
1: role yeah. of being a dad, and now you're like next challenge. I've got this. Yeah, I took I took all that stupid advice that told me to get sleep before the child comes as if you could like over index and like build yeah, up yeah. A, a pool of sleep to stockpile um, right but yeah no if, i'm
0: ready if only if only were that easy just just sleep for months you know before yeah. baby comes, baby comes. Well, yeah yeah that does that does not work um <laughs> which by the way you you look well rested you look good uh are you getting sleep at night or is this just because you're still young and
1: fit and uh you can fake it <laughs> Actually, baby girl has been sleeping pretty pretty decent at night. Terrible napper awesome. at this point, but yeah, I'm getting, getting rest and I'll take that. I'll take the daytime struggle versus the nighttime struggle. Oh, man. Yeah. So wild story here. So we have, my wife and I have eight kids.
0: You know that. Most listeners know that. We are officially done. So no more kids. All of our kids, all eight of them slept through the night. They were terrors by day. Like we had insanity and chaos. And it still is insanity and chaos during the day, but we can sleep at night. And if you can sleep at night, I believe you can handle just about anything. So so glad to hear. We'll we'll take the no naps if they're if they're sleeping at night yeah. for
1: sure. So that's good.
0: Any? Are we drawing any parallels between fatherhood and
1: entrepreneurship? Or are we? Ju- are we too? Are we too? Uh, that's actually. Life? That probably is actually the best advice that I got. Well, not. I. I wouldn't call it advice. It was basically, hey, it's just like starting a business. You never really know what you're doing until you just jump in. And yeah. I thought that was a perfect <laughs> analogy because yeah. actually it's probably even harder. It definitely is even harder because it you, is. You're not taking any previous chops of marketing or, oh, I did email at X, Y, and Z brand. And then this. Like you just, (laughs) it's just sink or swim, man. Keep this baby alive. Sink or swim. And and yeah, there's really no advice to
0: fully prepare you for being a parent or being an entrepreneur. You just got to do it. You got to, you just got to, jump in the pool and swim try to keep your head above water and you know what's also interesting about kids is like every kid is different so like even if you were to master you know how to parent this one kid the next kid's going to be different and then you got to start over again to a certain degree and so yeah lots of parallels between being a a parent and being an entrepreneur and so uh, awesome any any uh cool takeaways from the pods you're about a year into the podcast any cool lessons or takeaways or you feel like you've grown
1: uh through that process yeah, I guess it's actually been a year and a half. I think it was June of '22 we started. Um, yeah, man, it's just it's just repetition. It's just yes. like anything else. You just get better. It's more fun to riff. Um, you're not. You don't have to like prep every single question. You can ask spontaneous questions based on the what the listener said. Right. I think I'm getting better at uh, explaining my two cents and rolling that into a question, which you do very well and a lot of great podcasters have been doing this a while. They add context and then roll that into a question. So yeah, I'm enjoying it. I like it. I generally love asking people questions. So it's very natural, especially once we started doing guests over the past year. Um, and there's just so many interesting founders doing cool stuff that have awesome brands.
0: For sure. And I, and I think that you know, the key to being a great podcaster is really the key to being uh, just a great marketer in general. And that's being curious. right? Being curious asking good questions hearing something or seeing something and saying wait a minute let's let's dig into that just yeah. a little bit more and and really I think that's that's like the key to, to coming up with great marketing ideas or business ideas is, is being curious and being um, uh, thoughtful. I love that and so uh, really glad you're doing that I thoroughly enjoy it as well and and you talked about reps I think it's really important that we talk about that for just a minute related to anything business uh, you know I'm helping our, our sales team kind of refine our pitch and refine some things mm. internally and just been reminded as I've been going through that and, and going through 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 some resources and listening to Alex Ramosi and a few other people just like it takes way more than just a few reps right you may you may get hey I'm six or ten podcast episodes in why am I not Tim Ferriss by now right like why am I not just this this Pro, it takes a lot of reps. It takes probably hundreds of reps. It takes mm-hmm. years of reps, and you're still getting better even as you're you're going through those hundreds of reps. And so, I think that's something important to keep in mind for us as we develop in our leadership and in our marketing mm-hmm. prowess or product design prowess or whatever or our podcasting abilities. But also, it's important to keep in mind with our team as we're coaching and training our team. Like, hey, you know, uh, uh, Tim, you've been on six sales calls, right? I would not expect you to be crushing it
1: yet. Right. We gotta you gotta yeah. get dozens and then even hundreds of reps. So uh, kudos to you guys for putting in the work. Appreciate it, man. Yeah, that's a great call out. It's the old adage, right? Uh, ten thousand hours. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And it just applies to to so many things, almost everything, really.
0: Yeah. So uh awesome, man. Well, let's let's dive in. I w I wanna talk about influencer marketing. I want to take about I'll talk about creative flywheels. And I think we'll probably spend most of our time talking about creative flywheels. And I have I have my thoughts there, but you're Perspective is unique, and I really value it. Um, let's talk about uh, this concept of seeding. And I've heard you guys, and I've heard a few other, you know, pros yeah. in the social media ad space talk about seeding. What is that? How is that going to make our social ads better?
1: Yeah, uh, seeding comes from the old uh, farmer like um, terminology where you're seeding out a bunch of seed and you throw it all across the ground. Some sprouts up as crop, and some does not. But the more that you seed, the more crop that you have. Um, so. Same parallel. Usually, when people talk about seeding, they talk about with when it comes to influencers, what's an influencer? People with social media following who have influence, for lack of a better word, um, over a certain audience in a certain category or persona type. And so, we're doing that at scale. When you're talking about product seeding, you're getting your product, you know, that jacket that Brett's wearing, or your hat brand, or your consumable brand, all that stuff. Um, you're seeding that out to influencers and. The way that we define it, the caveat we define it is no strings attached. So there's no expectations for that person to do anything in return. And that's what I would say is the true definition of seeding, not how to delineate it from gifting, which is usually it's a product for posts. There's some sort of transactional nature to it. We're very much over-indexing into the relationship. And so that means that, no, there is no guarantee of a post in return or some sort of um, metric that you're uh, analyzing on the back end. but of course, we've created a business out of this, doing this. We service brands doing this. So we have certain expectations and I'm sure we can get into that. But um, the principle is really build the relationship. Let the person or influencer rally around the brand and product, which is what you want ultimately anyways. And the only way to do that authentically is to just simply give them the product and let the cream rise to the top, if you will. Um, so let the people that love it reveal themselves. And usually they do that by actually end up posting. So yeah,
0: it's really good. And I love the analogy. You know, we and we, we can look at, you know, the the principle of, of sowing and, and the, the harvest mm-hmm. and you reap what you sow and stuff like there's like the biblical component and, and there's all kinds of agriculture imagery yeah. and it's been used in business for a long time. Like we, you got to plant, you got to water, you got to cultivate. And there's something really powerful about, you know, like as we plant these seeds, like that's not the thing we want. Uh, But you want you want to just put the seed out there enough times because you really don't know what's going to grow. Where's where's it going to find uh, a yeah. place to to put in roots and where is it not? And, and really just putting, Putting kindness out there, putting a great product out there, connecting with the right people, and the cream will rise to the top. Uh, good things will happen. There will be a harvest. There'll be a return on this, right? If you if you do yeah. it correctly. And so, uh, yeah. Well, any, anything you want to say on that? And then I want, I want to get into like how do you determine like who you're giving stuff to? Yeah,
1: founders are just too
0: impatient, right?
1: It's like, yeah, <laughs> we'd a lot be better. I planted the seeds yesterday. Where is, Where is the crop? It? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I remember talking to a, a one of our sales guys, and he's like, "I just, I don't know what to do. Like this prospect's not getting back to me." And I'm like, "Cool. When did you email them?" And they're like, uh, "Monday." And I'm like, "It's Wednesday. Um, <laughs> you know, like we're we're just gonna need to like give a little bit of time. They're busy. We are gonna follow up. Like we're gonna do the things. But like, yeah, yeah this this is a big deal too. Like it's not gonna happen in one day. So we're we're okay." Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. So, so then if we're going to go through this process of seeding we're not really asking for anything in return, which I think is a great way to do this, how are we choosing, like, who are we sending our
1: products to? Where are we
0: casting these seeds? Because that's, that's important.
1: Yeah. It's not spray and pray like most people confuse it with. So there is a very targeted and documented and you should have a very methodical approach to how you identify people. Um, One, just quantitatively and qualitatively matching it to your brand and product. But also, um, you need to be able to identify people based on what you're hoping to get out of it, which is like for us, we're very much a performance marketing mindset. We're a performance marketing agency. We're thinking the end game of Facebook in mind, what is going to help convert. Um, so we want content. We want organic posts to happen. So we prioritize video content creation ability. We prioritize how good is Brett on camera and does he talk clean? Is he nervous? You know, all these different things. Um, Has he separated his O's and back-to-back words? Yep. and things like that. Great call out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So those things are what we're taking into consideration. It's it's not oh seating. I'm just gonna spray and pray and spread it out to anybody and everybody. I mean, you're just you're you're gonna get a very fractional return based on if you're very targeted. And obviously, it's kind of like, no duh, if you're a coffee brand, reach out to people that love coffee. Like, there's basic things that you should just be doing, but you'd be surprised how many people like, this is the step that most people screw up, which is the train. It goes into the wrong direction. Like, it doesn't matter how good the service is, you're going to end up at the wrong destination. So same thing with this. How fast
0: you go. If you're going in the wrong direction, you're going in the wrong direction. Yeah,
1: Yeah. exactly. Yeah. So you got to nail identification
0: yeah it makes a ton of sense and so both quantitatively and qualitatively is this the type of influencer that the one would have the right audience the two would would really Mm -hmm. you know like likely like my product and want to talk about it and then yeah have they proven that they can do this what we want is video content have they proven that they're great on video and and do we think that that our audience would resonate with with their video content because if they haven't done it yet you shouldn't expect them to do it uh, just because you yeah. give them your product. And so, yeah, very, very good. Um, any, any tips or tricks or things you would you would kind of add to that? Like, how do we how do we make that manageable? Aside from hiring kinship, which I think is a great idea, and I do encourage <laughs> that. But aside from that, like, how, how do we sort of make this process manageable?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's if you Google influencer marketing software tools platforms, you're it's actually probably going to be overwhelming, and that's just mm-hmm. because there's so many resources. Um, I mean, you can use free tools at your disposal, one of them being Instagram, one of them being TikTok Creator Marketplace. like those are free. and they're on platform. Um Meta has one called uh, Meta for creators or something like that, Instagram for creators. So use those tools. I mean, obviously, you need to hire against how important this is to your business and just back out from that. Yep. Um yep. but there's the low level overseas contractors to you know a full-time employee. and most people start is they give it to their organic social person and it's a fractional thing. Hey, DM some influencers, but you also have to be realistic about the return on that as well um it's going to be a fractional return because it's part-time
0: it's going to be a fractional thing you're going to you're going to get fractional results and so yeah Yeah. just how important is it and yeah you know my belief is and obviously i run an agency like you although we do different things like it's it's hard to hire the same talent you're going to get in an agency uh unless you've got a really big budget in a big department and you have multiple people you can hire so right uh, yeah it it makes a lot of sense yeah um Let's talk a little bit because I want to get into this creative flywheel concept here pretty quickly. But talk to me about macro versus micro influencers. I think the name alone probably allows most people to know what we're talking about here. But yeah, uh, define that for us, and then why is it important to make that distinction?
1: Well, the general recommendation and what I would advise is that you start micro, Um, however you define micro. um, We define it sub 150k. That's probably broader than what most people 150k um, followers. Yeah, exactly. And um, and then I would start there because I think you can get a 10 to 1 return over starting with a million followers. Um, and you're the investment leap that you're making on that one person, you're putting all your eggs in that one basket versus spreading your investments out. It's kind of like one stock versus diversified portfolio. That's how I would put it and think about it. Um You're going to have a diversified portfolio not in, you know, potentially it could be in different categories if it's applicable to your product and brand. But you'd want to spread it out to a number of different people with 10, 25, 50,000 followers, 100,000 followers. And that's where you're identifying people, a pool of people to pick from. Um, But more engagement, they've built their following on the content, not because they're on The Bachelor or they're a pro athlete or all these different things. And they kind of just got hundreds of thousands of followers overnight. So that's that's also why you're looking at it better engagement rate overall. If you're looking at organic metrics, um, I think very few brands earn the right to entertain macro talent. Yeah, and there's a there's a stepping stool process to actually getting to that point. Whether it be a annual revenue that you're actually getting to, or just you as a brand have established that credibility, and you're just kind of looking for that next thing. Think Hex and Gordon Ramsay, you know, all these different things. So.
0: Yeah, it makes makes a ton of sense, and and you know this this part way better than I do. But you know the 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 shift with most social platforms, it seems, is it's kind of away from or, or less dependent on like this follower model and more 100%. dependent on content, right? And so great 100%. content can just go off. I know that's especially true on TikTok, but it seems like it's true on Reels and YouTube Shorts and things like that. Like the right content yeah. can take off whether someone's got you know a thousand followers, ten thousand, or hundred fifty, or a million. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, I, I love. So one, want to know your thoughts on that, but I also love. Of these said, hey, with some of these micro influencers, like they built that off their content, not off of pro sports or something else that that happened in their life. Like this was about content.
1: Yeah. And, you, and what we're talking about here is influence, right? So you can take the million followers and their influence over their audiences, a fraction of a fraction in terms of the people that actually see the content, let alone engage with it, um, versus like, you know, the 10,000 followers that might have a smaller audience to pick from, but they're highly, highly engaged, you know food recipes, mommy blogger, how they're raising their kids. Like it's just, that's been proven at this point. Um, so I would go from a micro to macro approach. If you're trying to go up the influencer pyramid, and, which is the terminology that we use, that there's there's stepping stones to actually getting to that capstone. So that's how I think about it. Nice.
0: And it really allows you to kind of perfect the game, right? And and understand what do I do with this content and how do I, how do I make the most of this content Uh, and start with micro influencers where where you'll likely have a lot of quantity of, of content and influencers. And then as you work your way up, now you're maybe ready for those, those uh, macro influencers. Any, any uh, other insights that you would want to share kind of on
1: that, that influencer pyramid and how you help guide uh, companies through that? Well, I mean, the pyramid it, real quickly goes from seeding to organic posts to content, which all handles kind of in the seeding process. And then there's affiliate where there's no upfront payment, even at this step, but you're rewarding folks that love you or are ambassador of your brand. And then you're going into more an ambassador level where there are maybe more on longer term contracts. And then you have that capstone, which is what we call flag bearer, but it's a macro level person, I Think the Gordon Ramsay of Hexlet, and like I brought up again, kind of just the face of the brand. They're sticking the flag in the ground, and saying, "Hey, I represent this company. I'm a part owner, or I have equity, or what have you." Like that's a name recognition type of deal.
0: Got it. It's the Rob Gronkowski and Built
1: Apparel. Yeah, it's you know yeah.
0: at the peak, it's it's LeBron James and Nike, and then that that sort of thing. So, right. That, that's awesome. Um, well, I think that this is a good transition. Let, let's let's talk about. Uh, building a creative flywheel. And and I want to kind of set this up a little bit. And and then I know uh, we'll, we'll riff on this for, for a while. But, uh, you know, I'm a believer that really success as an agency, success as a brand comes down to a few things. Uh, one is strategy, right? And then we talk about this a lot, thinking about strategy of the platforms that we work with. At OMG, it's Amazon. So, how are we using Amazon to build our client's brand, to generate sales, to position it long term? How are we using Google and YouTube to build full funnel growth and you know new customer acquisition at affordable cost? I know you guys are using influencer and mm-hmm. and the socials to, to do the same thing. Then you know how are we using email to retain that revenue and and grow that existing those those customers and and then it's really creative. So you get, you get the strategy right, and strategy is going to change uh as we go based on results you got creative and really creative drives everything right and the and yeah. the, the difference between mediocre creatives and creatives that just crush is 10 to one 100 to one sometimes so right getting the right creative mm-hmm. is is essential and so i want to dig into that and then it comes down to execution right it's like running running the running the plays well running the uh, running the campaigns well and managing our budgets well and and getting them yeah. in the proper media mix and so that execution piece is really key but let, let's let's dive into the creative because i'm confident if creative is not there like you're just sunk you're, you're wasting your time yeah um, well, well first of all any, anything you would add to that the, the kind of the strategy creative and execution piece any any interesting uh, no I, I think that. that's a great framework I love that Awesome, awesome. So then, then we're looking at creative, and I know every platform is different, right? Where TikTok's super creative hungry—that's my understanding—and uh, Facebook and Instagram are pretty uh, creative hungry. YouTube is not as creative hungry, but it is with YouTube Shorts. And so, uh, you know, we we've got to create a lot of creative, and they got and it's got to be good. So, talk about how you guys use influencer marketing to build a creative flywheel.
1: Yeah, I mean, it comes comes down from seeding. So generally what our agency is getting a minimum of is 150 assets that come from organic posts from influencers, no strings attached. We turn that organic post into ad creative and we get usage rights to it. And then we launch it within meta. So I'm gonna give you a very meta focused answer because that's how we think and that's Perfect. where we're servicing Perfect. our clients. I, I
0: still think that's the even though I'm a Google guy and I love YouTube and <laughs> I love Amazon, like most D to C brands, Facebook yeah. has the is the largest share of the budget. And that's yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. And so um meta will tell you, and this comes straight from them, that you need two creative refreshes a month minimum. Got it. So we're doing we're doing once a week. So that's, that's every two weeks, they're recommending minimum to get greater efficiency within your ads. We're doing it every week. Um, so we're beating their minimum recommendation. But that means you need a lot of content, what you just said, right? Like that is the bottleneck that every brand for the most part, 99% of the people that I get on the phone with, that is the bottleneck that they are experiencing. It's very hard to keep up. Um, it was what Gary V was preaching 10 years ago, right? It was just like content, content, content. Absolutely. So you need volume, and then what also Meta recommends is creative a variety. So you need a variety of different content. So what typically people do is they see, okay, product on white background, let's put it on black background, different ad, right? But it's our best performer. So we should just rinse and repeat. Facebook and, their, and the auction sees that as the same ad. Um, so if you do that over and over again, what I just shared as an example, you end up in creative fatigue a lot quicker. What seating does is it lends itself to volume and variety. Um, and also just because you need volume and variety doesn't mean that you can't spend lots of money on each asset. So you also need to keep your costs down. So you need volume, but you need to keep your costs down. Seeding, obviously for the right cogs of your product and unit economics, it can be very cost effective. And, you know, once your cost of goods start going above a hundred, it can be very astronomical, especially for the, for the scale of which we work, right? A hundred creators getting product every month times your cogs, is $10,000 both of those things are very important. And that's what sets us up well to have a creative flywheel for brands. And, you know, maybe people have heard this creative is the new targeting, you know, 2018, 17, all the like button clickers on the back end that Facebook media buyer gurus back in the day, those days are long gone in terms of like all the manipulation that you could because Facebook's a business too. And they saw all these button clickers that were making stupid decisions because the machine was smarter than the human and so they've made it very simple with something called you know advanced shopping campaigns asc plus those sorts of things that make it very simple to launch a campaign and the main thing that leverages that new campaign structure is creative um, so that's what i talk about with like creative as a new targeting you know, you're, you're removing all those button things that you can move on the back end. But creative is that variety and volume that you can really manipulate to get better performance and efficiency. Yeah, and, and I totally agree. I
0: think there are still some cases and I think uh, with, with YouTube, especially in the beginning, you, you really need to guide the algorithm and there are some targeting things you can change. But I still fully agree that that creative is the new targeting. right? Without the right creative, none of the rest of it matters. And uh, really, then we we begin looking as media buyers, we're looking at how do we feed the algorithm good data? Mm -hmm. How do we feed a good content Read the performance, make more great content, and then and then continue expanding and building on on what we've got. And so, uh, but yeah, it, it becomes really hard, especially for these platforms that are creative hungry. You know, on the on the YouTube side, we it, it can be easier, right? We can run the same two to three ads for months and months, but not yeah. necessarily with with, with shorts. Um, but uh, so it can become very expensive. Like, how to how do we build all of this creative? And and it can't just be the same thing. But let's just tweak this one component or or tweak the. Right. Uh, the color or whatever like that that's not enough right it's, it's gotta it's gotta be seen in Facebook's algorithms eyes as as unique right and so right. yeah so then, then what is that what does that look like so you're you refreshing creative about every two weeks um, every week then what how long are you letting kind of winners ride like how, how long does that and
1: I'm sure it's different for every account it is very different and dependent um winner winners never leave um, but so yeah. let's just take an example. We launch 100 assets. You could mm-hmm. typically see a third of those tops get actual spend. Um, yeah. But if, if you think about it, it's just a numbers game, right? Like if I launch a campaign with 100 assets, you launch a campaign with 10. I just have more at-bats than you. It's just pure math, mm-hmm. right? I'm just, I'm just leveraging the machine so much more and giving it so many more at-bats compared to you. Um, so that's where creative is just crucial. Um, to be able right. to launch, and th- this gets into well, if I launch 100 creatives, Cody, how much budget should I get into? And this gets into kind of like cost controls and cost caps, and that's a huge hot topic on on Twitter and the it Twitter is. share. We are big <laughs> proponents of yeah. The D2C's Twitter
0: space is blowing up with cost cap discussions.
1: <laughs> yeah, so if you don't know what that is, essentially we're telling Facebook we're willing to spend X and no more than that to acquire a customer. And so when you match that with your actual unit economics, whether you're on a subscribe and save model or um, and you want to break even, or you want to actually go into the red to acquire a customer because your LTV is very strong, you can make those decisions uh, because Meta is motivated to spend your money. And so when you give it a daily budget, it's going to spend that money, baby. Um, But it's created something where you can actually mitigate that risk um, and only acquire customers at a target that you're comfortable with. And... And meta does have any insight into your unit economics. Um, so they're gonna spend, right. but you do. So you can dictate the machine um, to spend accordingly.
0: Yeah, and, and how how good is is meta at that? So you give it a you give it a cost cap of what we're trying to like hit yeah. fifty dollar CPA or whatever. Are they gonna kind of fudge with that and go over that for a little bit and then bring it down? Or are they just pretty good, good about they'll hit it or just stop spending? What is what does that look like?
1: Yeah. So let's get the difference between cost controls or cost per result versus bid cap. So bid cap is going to actually be more specific, more strict and say, it's not going to spend over $50. The cost control okay. is going to take the average or the cost cap is going to take the average. So it will spend not astronomically above, not even a lot, but it's going to spend above and it'll get to that average CPA that you want. Um, so there's a little bit more wiggle room to unlock spend. Um, but whether you do have it cost capped or bid cap, people need to understand it. it's also not perfect. Like we're talking about an advertising platform, you know, like you're in the game. Um, So it's not going to be perfect. There's days where it's like, wait, it, it overspent. Yeah. You need to be monitoring your account, you know, and that's our job, right? Like with all of our clients is like daily monetization of the cost controls, adjusting up and down.
0: Yeah. uh, Totally makes sense. And and so then uh, I want, I want to key on something you said a minute ago. So you said, i you know this. I know it's all hypothetical, but I'm sure this is likely based in in reality. Got 100 creatives. You put them in, and you're testing them. Only a third of them get spend. What if some of the two thirds that don't get spend, you're like, I think there's some winners in here. I think there's some potential gold in here. Do you do something else to try to get those creatives to have spend, or do you say, nope, algorithm knows best. We're just going to move on. There was something about those creatives that that the algo did not like.
1: We definitely lean into. We're dumber than the machine, just transparently. Um, the, machi- the machine, the <laughs> yeah. machine is smarter than all of <laughs> all of us. Um, but yeah, there's something to be said about. There's definitely investment that brands make in certain creative that they want to give more legs to. Um, so that we definitely give more opportunities sometimes to people and to creatives that we see could be successful. But again, like we're getting so much creative if it doesn't get spend. And Facebook also will tell you that spend is a leading indicator of predictive results that you're trying to achieve. So if it's spending, Facebook's basically saying, we believe in this content. We believe it's in this. Not spending, we believe this has got something. There's something to yep, this. Yep.
0: Great, yeah, to- totally makes sense. So then, okay, so we're, we're seeding, we're getting kind of that initial batch of content. Uh, now we're, you know, a third of those, maybe more, get some spend. How many of those then end up kind of being winners? And then when do we kind of go to, to round two of of creatives, or what? Or how do we keep the how do we keep the flywheel turning?
1: Yeah, so we're just we're just doing this every single month. I mean, you're you're just constantly seeding out product um, and getting new fresh content weekly and we're not waiting for whole 150 assets to launch in a campaign, for example, yeah, like we're just yeah. implementing new content weekly. Um, so like even a campaign that I was just looking at recently, 93 ads, three of the three of the pieces of content got 85% of the spend. Wow. So that's even less than a third, of which is what I just said. Um, totally. But again, that's, that's, like that's what the, we want. That's it's not, like, not
0: the 80-20. That's like the 95-5 rule, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it just becomes really effective in, in launching as much creative as you can. And as we're launching creative into that account, we're simultaneously seeding out new product. And again, it goes into greater efficiency because that variety and volume is there. That's awesome, man. It's awesome.
0: What are what are some of your favorite examples or favorite case studies for how this influencer-driven, influencer-powered creative flywheel
1: has helped, helped brands grow? Some of our favorite case studies? I mean, for the lower tier people. I would say um, we've launched a couple brands that have gone from zero to 15 million, zero to 2 million within six months. 15 million was over 18 months off the backs of this. Now, again, wow! I say this context too. It's like agencies, I think, get a bad rap because they want to take credit for the whole business. It's definitely not true. <laughs> yeah, Obviously, there's yeah. a product, there's yeah. a brand, there's manufacturing, there's inventory, there's all these different things. We're servicing a great brand at the end of the day that has great legs and we're just yeah, throwing gasoline yeah. on the fire. Totally.
0: You can't market your way out of bad unit economics, right? You can't yeah. market your way out of a broken sales process or lack of cash flow or lack yeah. of capital management or like it's gotta be a good business. And that's why, you know, we talk about like we we're, we're here to accelerate growth, right? We can't yeah. We're not turnaround artists. We can't save something that's that's fundamentally broken. But if you're growing, we can pour fuel on that fire. So lo- love that. So uh, yeah. So those are pretty impressive uh, growth levers for sure. Uh, what, what else can you say about you know case studies or examples?
1: Yeah. Or? And then there's there's other examples of you know we worked with M and M's of the world a couple of years ago. We might have talked about it on the first. Uh, Podcast. We worked with them for over a year and saw incredible results. And then, you know, I would say predominantly like the brands that we find ourselves working with are in that five to 20 million and they're kind of looking for that upper echelon of scale. And so, one brand in particular, we've had him on our podcast as well, Jack Rubin and his brother Charlie at Purdy and Fig natural cleaning supplies. You'd never think it's like the most viral product. But man, I mean, crazy post rates, crazy amount of assets that we were, again, numbers game. We're able to leverage that within that account. And just usually, as you scale ad spend, and I'm, I'm sure you see the same thing on Google, CPAs just generally rise with more spend. Right. Generally. Except the low-hanging fruit, and then it gets harder to acquire customers. We've seen inverse, where it's like we're scaling ad spend and CPAs are going down. Um, and sometimes we're we're taking over something that's kind of fairly easy to make changes and Mm. improve. But that is our proposition that we can reduce your CAC while scaling ad spend. And that comes from just the volume of creative at target.
0: Yeah. And, and I think, you know, the, the reason that works, the, the reason that's possible within platforms is you got, you got to think about what is the motivation of, of Meta or Facebook or YouTube or whoever it's to deliver ads that people want to watch and mm-hmm. want to click on. And yeah. so as you create better creatives and often it takes quite a bit of iteration to get there, but as you create better ads, the platforms will reward you and they'll show your ad more and Google will drive down your CPC on search and they'll potentially drive down your CPM on YouTube or your cost per is going to go down Mm. as your ads improve and so then as you continue to tweak and dial that in and as you you know improve your landing pages then yeah at scale you can maybe lower your cpas i think usually the the principles apply where like okay but yeah you hit some sort of scale you know you 10x that 20x that whatever you're probably gonna get diminishing returns but but yeah there's a level that most brands have not experienced where you're like hey we could achieve more scale and better CPAs uh, because there's just a lot of things broken here and what's going on.
1: Yeah. And that's that's another huge point that you just brought up about what is the point of diminishing returns? That is like something that we're really, as an agency over the past three to six months, we've helped people understand is like, how much can I spend at this target before I actually spend too much money and my incremental ROAS is actually bad for my business. Um, And that just comes through forecasting. That just comes through historical data. And we're really getting better at helping people understand that because I think a lot of founders just generally don't know and their forecast is kind of like some black magic out there, and so it's like, well, let's just spend hundred thousand dollars next month, and then two hundred. You know, like it, I guess it should go up. <laughs> what, um, num- what number
0: feels right now? Let's what, what number did I hear someone say on a podcast or what Yeah, number I this heard guy on two rows is
1: good. <laughs> yeah,
0: that that sounds right. I want to be smart. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Really, really insightful. And uh, you know, th- this is one of those things where uh, I, I think sometimes when you hit points of diminishing returns, you you hit a cap, then then that's often a time when you need another channel. So to give you an example, mm. uh, a couple of examples, actually, one is with a, a, a longtime client and, and friend, True Earth, Laundry Detergent Strips. Uh, shout out to my boy, Ryan McKenzie. Uh, we helped them launch like in the early days. We ran all their Google search and shopping and stuff. Once they started YouTube, it did fine for a little while. Once we got to like 50,000 a month and spent on YouTube and then beyond, we saw search grow by like 30 or 40%. Um, branded search went up more than that. Their Google Shopping results grew like 300 mm-hmm. uh, percent. Remarketing grew, right? So you, you introduce this new channel, which makes sense. You're feeding the funnel. You introduce yeah. this new channel, and it unlocks new growth. We've seen the same thing with Facebook. We had this auto client where uh, we just could feel it and then see it in the the search and YouTube and, and or, or search and shopping accounts. Like if they had to pull back on Facebook, we saw it. Um, yeah. And I think there's also this area where Facebook can hit a cap, and in the introduction of YouTube strategically. can... And help both spend more at affordable uh, CACs. And so, uh, yeah, that's where you're like, hey, if we're hitting a cap, we probably need to introduce a new channel and create some synergies with these channels yeah. to be able to unlock an, the next level of scale.
1: I'm glad you brought that up, too, because that's actually the other half of the value. I know a lot of my responses have been very focused on Facebook. But when you're talking about 60 to 90 organic posts going live from influencers organically. There's no paid distribution. We're not whitelisting. We're not paying them to post. They're posting organically. And I had Matt Pertulli from um, Pila Case and Lumi, uh, one of the nine operators guys on the podcast. I had him on our podcast. And one thing that I said that has really stuck with me and I've even used it... (laughs) And sales calls is like the two things that you're optimizing for because they're huge on seeding. They seed out 3,000 creators a month. So it's not just me preaching this, folks. People have been doing this. Um, He was like, two things you're optimizing for, trust with an audience, mass amounts of people communicating product and brand. You're optimizing for trust. Then two is signal. Because of iOS 14, off-platform signal went away. But Facebook still really loves Signal. So when you see all these organic posts, that makes your ad more efficient because you're getting yeah. all this signal into the platform, whether it's organic or paid, um, but you're already running paid. And so like when you talk about unlocking new channels, that's one thing that's just happening. Um... When you're yeah. doing seating, you're unlocking a new channel, whether you admit to it or not. Um, you could be doing this no strings attached, relationship focus, but it is a new channel that you're unlocking and helping your other channels, like you just brought up. Great call out. Yeah. So we're
0: building trust and it makes sense, right? If you if you see something in the wild two or three times, like especially when you get to that like that, third the third time I've seen someone post about something, I'm like, Yeah there's something going on here. There's something going on about this product or this thing and I got to check it out. So yeah, that trust is really built. And then, yeah, the the algorithms need signal, right? And so the, the, the this is a way to provide that signal. It's brilliant. I really like it and it makes a ton of sense. And that that's where I also look at any opportunity we can create like this. And I think a lot of these these platforms do offer it, whether it's TikTok Meta, YouTube, or whatever, where we can drive direct measurable conversions, but then there's yeah. there's a halo effect or some some other benefit that comes with it, then all the better.
1: And influencer marketing has that in spades because now you get, you know, all this totally. organic lift as well. You're optimizing for word of mouth as well, which is untrackable, but so important. Everybody admits to it, but they are too impatient to work for it. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. Like what's what's the most valuable form of uh, advertising, the most trusted form of advertising? Yeah. It's word of mouth, but it's a yeah. little bit slow and you yeah. can encourage it and you can kind of guide it, but you can't control it uh, fully. And so most of us mm-hmm. are too impatient, but influencer marketing helps fuel that. So really, really good. Uh, Cody, this has been fantastic. I'm all fired up about influencer marketing. So if, if someone's listening to this and they're like, all right, I need to get you know Cody and Taylor and the gang at uh, Kinship working for me. How can they learn more about you and how can they connect with you?
1: Yeah. Uh, connect with me on Twitter or LinkedIn at Cody Wittick, W-I-T-T-I-C-K. Uh, I think there's an underscore on my Twitter. Between Cody and Whitick, and then LinkedIn. I think it's just straight. So you know, whoever the real yep, there Cody is indeed, out there on Twitter, Twitter is, Twitter pulled up. Yeah, um, and then our agency kynship.co Co. And if you book a call, you'll talk with me. Yours truly. If You book a call, you will talk
0: with the one, the only, the podcast hope podcast host <laughs> uh, Cody and hope. Wittick. And so, and hope. Yeah, you will. He will provide new hope for your business for your creative flywheel you'll be filled That's with right. hope after that call no doubt so <laughs> cody wittick ladies and gentlemen cody been a ton of fun man thank you so much we will have to schedule round three and uh we should probably you know not make it like a year and a half or two years from now
1: there we go i like it always enjoy talking to you brett thanks for having me
0: absolutely and as always
1: thank you for tuning
0: in, my ask of you is, hey, if you found this valuable, if this was inspiring or interesting to you, share it with another D2C uh, professional, uh, as a store owner, a, a, a professional in the space. That's how we get the word out. We'd love to impact and help more people in this community. And hopefully we're having fun doing it as well. And so with that, until next time, thank you for listening.